Welcome to the faculty, everybody. My name is Jonathan Brown. Some people call me Biz. This is Shane Sterling, and uh, I'm not with you in L.A. right now. I know, man. We're, we're having so a great nice. time out here. Yeah, no, I'm back here in Toronto, and it's, uh, it's cold as hell. I was hoping you'd come so I could, you know, catch the shade that you project <laughs> being eight <laughs> feet funny. tall. That's that's real hilarious. I'm going to go back <laughs> to being freezing. <laughs> listen, say, listeners. Say hi to Blue. <laughs> listen, listeners, we, we got some great content in when uh, Blue and I was out, out in L.A., and um, we're really excited to bring it to you, so uh, stay tuned. We have a special guest live from L.A. today, my man Blake of Popular Demand, among other things. Among other things, Among yeah. many other things, but as we'll find Popular out. still Popular Demand, that's what people know me for. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, it's great. You and I met, I don't know how many years ago it was now. Yeah, yeah a number of years <laughs> ago. You know, it was, we were both, we were, I guess I was doing Popular Demand, you were doing a few other things. That's right. Before, yeah, you know? yeah. I was doing Hip Hop Canada at the time, I was doing some bio writing out here, that was during my summer yeah. out here in L.A., I got a glimpse of the big skies that you guys live with every day. Yeah, you made it back though. You're here in LA. Right I made it this. out, and then I made it back. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Not you made it out. Not everybody <laughs> makes it out. Yeah, especially we were in Vegas last week. Definitely not everybody makes it out. Yeah, we're we're lucky when we go to Vegas. If if we get most of the staff back, <laughs> for yeah. real. So no, no, it's good though. No, that's so great. what's going on? Um, well, I know you're. I mean, for people that don't know, Popular Demand. It's now you're at your fifth year anniversary yeah. now, right? Yeah. Uh, major lifestyle brand as you guys have built it up in a very dynamic, would you say unconventional way? I'd like to think it's unconventional just because um, I'd hate to do something too conventional. It's like you have to find this convergence between the conventional and the unconventional to set yourself apart. So for us, we've done it in a way that's very relationship driven, really trying to take advantage of being here in Hollywood mm-hmm. so that we can... Um, build unique relationships with people that um it's really it's like kind of a competitive advantage for us sitting here in the middle of hollywood because people are here all the time Mm -hmm. so bringing people through our office building those relationships has been a um it's been definitely a big benefit for us with the brand it's been it's been a huge uh game changer because i come from boston yeah so in boston you know the thing is like if you I remember when I was in Boston, if I, if I, if I rap, when I was at Carmeloop, I used to work at Carmeloop.com for, mm-hmm. for uh, three years. I, I launched two divisions for them. And I remember specifically, like, when a rapper or two would be coming through the office <laughs> or in town, it was, like, the biggest thing in the world. Um, and they're in our office day in and day out. And it's it's not to discount that. It's just a luxury by, by being in L.A. So by, by doing kind of the unconventional, by looking at it and figuring how we take advantage of the city – as uh, a, a big part portion of our marketing, it's been a uh, it's been it's been a, uh, a good way to do things like you were saying, like unconventionally. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at that as an advantage, even from the very beginning of the brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and so, how how do you go about you know building those relationships? Like, what do you offer? You know, what do you offer a tie dollar sign that that you know what's crazy is we you know people yeah. ask us that question a lot, and I kind of. Think of, I mean, the way we've thought about it is a relationship. It's like down to people, right? So it's like, how do you build a relationship with a person? You want, how do you make it so that they have interest in you and want to talk to you and want to, and feel some level of connection to you? Mm -hmm. I think the first thing and the most important thing is when we do 
meet people for a first time, um, whether it's a rapper or it's an athlete, it's a model or it's a new potential business associate, somebody we may work with. I don't, I think a lot of people meet with those people and they're like, um, it's like they see like red meat, right? They're like so excited. They're like, what can I do with these people? These people are going to make my company or my brand like they can help me so much. And we, we, we don't do that. Like when we meet somebody, of course we're thinking about like, man, it's, it's so cool. Like eventually if we did something, it could help us even more. But we're really just like, how do we meet them? and have them leave here with a positive impression of us, mm -hmm. thinking that uh, they may want to do more with us. They may mm -hmm. want to get to know us better. It's like I said, like it's a relationship. Yeah. So I think when, when what, no matter what the business is, let's say a, 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 you know, an athlete walks into a restaurant, the first thing they're thinking of is, man, how do I get their picture mm -hmm. showing that this athlete was here? That's their life day in and day out. When we meet with somebody, it's like, what's up like we'll get them product for sure all the time we get them product we never ask them to take like can you post this we never ask them if they could tag us um do i i've probably missed a few million impressions because of that but i think i've gained a lot a lot more because the relationship is never like when you ask somebody you meet with them it goes real well great vibe you hand them something, you hand them a package, which to us is a gift to you. And then you say, hey, could you tag us? The relationship is all different then. It's a different, th oh, they're like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. You want, you, we know, right? It's like when a guy goes out with a, with a beautiful woman. Yeah, we know where this all, we want it to all lead. <laughs> but are you gonna be like, are you gonna be smooth about it? Or are you gonna be like blunt about it? And, and I think from our standpoint, We've, we've played, tried to play the long game right. in the sense that we've said, these people aren't going anywhere. Again, we're in Hollywood, right? So they're here. They're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not the only time we're going to run into them. not the only time we're going to go to our office. So how do we get to know them in a genuine way that makes it feel like when the time is right, we will, we will do something together, hopefully. But even when we do something together, I'm hoping to provide them value yeah. of some sort. You know, I think everybody's looking for them to provide you value early on. Mm -hmm. And like that, I think it's like this. It's like it's like, you know, bringing up that girl, uh, mm -hmm. um, bring up that girl um, example, too. It's like when you see a beautiful woman, how many guys that day have told her how beautiful they are? Mm -hmm. When you don't tell them, they're like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. What, yeah, yeah. What's this guy? All about? We kind of do the same thing. We're just like. Let's get to know each other, you know, and, and so that's been a super key for us is just thinking about I think you, you the relationship. Hit, you hit on two perfect things there, and I was actually you you got to it before I could even reflect yeah, yeah. it back to you, which is uh, like being genuine and authentic about the relationship, about the person, as opposed to what that person, the implications of that person, right, and providing them value. Well, yeah, for two things. One is. Um, it's that the thing I was saying about the red meat, right? It's like everywhere they go, people are thinking about, well, they could help me. They could help me. They could help me. And just think about it from their perspective. So I think if you just get to know them as people, um, stuff will happen. Mm -hmm. Figure it out. There's so many relationships we have that we haven't cashed those checks yet. Yeah. We haven't tried to do much. But again, then that leads to the value thing. Because then when I can say, 
I got that relationship. They really like me. Plus, I got this thing for them now that could actually be great for them. Mm-hmm. It enhances my relationship with them. So, like the tie dollar sign billboard. Well, the tie thing. The tie thing is was a great was a great um, activation that we did together. We put so this the, billboard up in Hollywood mm-hmm. with Ty. We'd known Ty for like four years up until that point. Hadn't really done too too much with him other than get him product. And then we. Um, we were doing our first billboard ever, and we thought Ty's the perfect person for the campaign. But more importantly, we thought not only was the perfect person because he he really fit the brand, but most importantly, like we also knew he had an album dropping at the same time. So the thought was, if we could build a campaign together collaboratively, where we do pay for the billboard and get the billboard out there, we can build this thing collaboratively and draw a lot of attention to a billboard or a campaign that it not only helps us, but it helps him. Because he has this, his first ever album dropping that's dedicated to his brother that's in prison. He obviously has this emotional connection to this thing that he's going to be releasing. How can we enhance that for him in some way or another? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it seemed to work, you know? And not that, obviously, there's a million, you know, you can always take a music artist or an athlete or somebody and pay them to endorse your product. And I'm not by any means adverse to that it's just a diff- that's also another way of providing them value you're providing them legit like you're literally providing them with with um with revenue you know so there's a, there's a way to do that as well i'm just i'm talking about some other ways you can provide people value that are that's collaborative that helps both our brand and helps what their what their goals are helps them accomplish their goals um we do that all the time we have the, we, we're starting to do multiple dates at dre's in las vegas um it's a great relationship because we're helping them enhance their nights and they're helping us enhance the brand. Some things work and that sort of relationship works really, really well. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, uh, let's go back to sort of the core of, of popular demand. And so for people that maybe haven't experienced the, the brand, what does the brand stand for? What are the sort of pillars or the, you know, the seven words or less? It doesn't have to be that, but you know, yeah, yeah, what yeah. does it stand for? What I mean, is the well, essence well, of it? I mean, we're we're a lifestyle driven apparel brand right so people really i think pay a lot of attention to our lifestyle whether it's through our snapchat or or through um all i mean all our different social media that we put out there um and and when you walk into our office it's a big ass sign that says no apologies and that's really the lifestyle that we try to try to live i mean i i you know i said that um i i want not only myself but my team um, the, the, the really the people that work for us, the people that represent the brand, to have this feeling like they can do whatever the hell they want to do. I'm not saying in any disrespectful way in any way whatsoever, but I want them to have the confidence that like you don't have to say you're sorry for wanting to obviously dress loud, or you don't have to say you're sorry for um, the music that you listen to or the lifestyle that you want to live. And 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 to me, there's the cool part about popular demand, and and we're known most for. Uh, this lifestyle, right? We're, we're having these music artists and these models and this party lifestyle. And we're known a lot for that. But the cool thing about popular demand is um, there's definitely some real core elements of me in there and my mentality mm-hmm. and how I approach things. But then also there's elements of the rest of our team in there, especially some people that have been with us for a number of years that make up like this the uh, DNA of the brand and so I'm proud of that and it's to me it's one of the cool aspects of the brand is that it's this convergence of uh, 
my mentality, but it's not entirely me. Like it's a, there's elements of me in it, but then there's elements of these two guys that when I first started the brand were two of the loudest, wildest kids. They're like 21 years old. They were going out to all the clubs in LA. They were getting all the attention in the world. And they were like, they started to rep the brand and be part of our team. One of the first few, few people part of the team. And they like were, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like they started their DNA, started getting in the brand really early on. And they inspired me for certain elements of the brand. Mm. Same with um, some of my early empo- employees, like a, like a, Monica, who's my marketing director, like her mentality and her approach to things, definitely, you know, it's in the bloodline of the brand. So for me, like we've, we've grown in a way that's, and, and that's the growth of the brand has been amazing, but at the same time, it, the DNA of the brand hasn't changed significantly from it being this lifestyle, do whatever you want sort of brand. We really, it's slightly cliche, work hard, play hard. But that's really, I think, what people see from following us on our Snap or, or through uh, our Instagram posts or stuff like that is they see this work hard, play hard lifestyle in real life. And I want to inspire younger kids to like not feel like they have to do, they have to be like everybody else. They have to go the traditional route in every, in every way to be successful. I want them to understand like you can be successful in a lot of different ways. You can have a lot of fun with it uh, and you don't have to look like uh, everybody out there, there's so many different ways to be uh, successful in life. So I try to inspire people not only with my own personal stuff that I post on my Instagram, but then in addition to that, with popular demand as well. The show, yeah, we go super hard, but we go hard in working and in playing, and I think people uh, really admire that with the brand. So you mentioned there, you know, over the five years, the DNA hasn't changed. But What's the changed? world has changed, though, in it's terms changed. of the climate. Not that you're, too, too much. No, but I get, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's still the, there. That thread is still there. Yeah. But, the, but the, 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 the game that you're in, like in terms of, for instance, retail, in terms of consumer expectations, has really changed in those five years, hasn't it? Significantly. I mean, for, before I started the brand, I mean, Instagram may have been around, but it wasn't really around. Like, nobody was really using it like that. And then... And this isn't specifically to retail, but this is just to just how people are consuming things. Then, uh, as Instagram came around, I mean, I, I there's definitely uh, I owe some level of our success to that app alone. The ability to to show our lifestyle, picture by picture by picture, right on it directly to somebody's phone, is something. Before I started the brand, you can't even build a business model or a marketing plan of any sort. Uh, thinking about what's not there because there's no such thing as it at that time. And I think that the way that people consume information is also cha- has also changed significantly the way that they um, spend their dollars and they, and they consume products, right? So they, they're doing it in a totally different way. It, it, some of this stuff does sound slightly uh, cliche, but it's true that the things like the smartphone and their ability to buy stuff, you know, even think about retail in terms of when you walk into a retailer, you can now use your phone to check prices and things like that that change it. So what that's done is that significantly changed the retail landscape where before you were dealing with um, a lot of these stores at these malls, these big retail stores that um, were where you would get your product. And it's not that people aren't shopping there too. They're still shopping. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to be doing so well at a retailer like Foot Action like a zoomies it's not that they're not shopping at these places that what's happening though at least what i'm seeing is that they are shopping at 
a little bit less there. Mm -hmm. And by shopping a little bit less, okay, where are they going? Well, they're going directly to the brand or they're going, they're finding some stuff on maybe an online retailer. They're, they're, the way that they're consuming product, the way that they're spending their dollars is getting wider and that width negatively affects your bigger chains because it's going to inevitably take a little bit of dollars away here and there. So for, for us, where the landscape has changed in the last five years specifically is, first of all, boutique retailers, I think, are struggling probably more than ever. The boutique, the boutique business was um, a greater percentage of our business than it is today. And that's, I don't, it's hard, right? Think about the boutique business. It's a, you, you, when, you're, when you're selling online, yeah, you got to pay a few things. You got to pay Shopify a little bit of money. But at the end of the day, you're selling online. There's no footprint there. You're not spending any money to have a place online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hosting, it's next to nothing. Yeah. You know, my hosting costs, you know, as much as my lunch, you know. <laughs> but if you're, if you're a boutique, you're paying for that, for the, for that location. Yeah. So automatically, you're paying for staffing. You're paying for all these things. And then you're competing against somebody. It's almost like competing with a ghost. Mm -hmm. Like... How, their overhead and, and what they've got to spend to for their business to function is so much less than a boutique, and but they're straight up competing. So that whole business has been significantly hit uh, negatively by uh, by how people are spending their money and the habits, how their habits are changing. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you, I was at Carmeloop for three years, and we did a lot of volume. And that was also about habits. At the time, most of brands like ours, we weren't around then, but the types of brands we are, streetwear type brands, customers trusted shopping on Carmeloop more than they trusted shopping directly with the brand. So that was mm. a huge um, differentiator for Carmeloop. It was like it was their, their ability, it was about trust, right? Yeah. So, and that was a generation of those eight or nine years ago. So you had two factors. Factor number one, people weren't as, as used to buying stuff online to the same degree. Okay, well, what's that make them? Makes them feel a little uncomfortable. All right, well, they're a little uncomfortable. Okay, they're gonna buy on Crooks and Castles, which by the way is a great brand, legacy brand, been around doing this for a long time, but they're gonna buy on Crooks and Castles site. This is eight or nine years ago, or they're gonna buy on Carmeloop site. Well, they go, they, they go, I don't really know. Like, I've never bought anything from Crooks and Castles. Plus, I don't buy a lot of stuff online. Like, I don't know if I can trust it. I'm going to get that. When am I going to get it? Oh, I buy from Carmeloop all the time. All right, I trust it. I'll put my credit card in there. What's happened in the past eight or nine years, ten years, is now they trust it. They know. They buy from people all the time. Mm -hmm. So now it's like they can buy directly from popular demand. They could go buy directly from Crooks now. They could go. And so now take a company like a Carmeloop. That's a different. That's a different playing field. Then you don't have that advantage you had mm. eight or nine years ago. So I think that, and, and this is from the beginning of time, really. But I think that how people are spending their money and where they're spending their money is con continuing to change. And what it's becoming more and more is people are willing to buy anything anywhere. They're willing to buy something on their phone. They are willing to go buy it at a, at a, at a mall. They're going to. But they're going to buy it anywhere, and that dilution, that that uh, that um, not being directly at these retailers, but instead being in so many different places, 
changes the landscapes a lot for brands because you've got to figure out where you're going to try to sell this product. Mm. You know, because it used to be you could just hit this home run, right? Yeah. Hey, oh shit, I got in. I'm in all, I'm in, you know, Zoomies. Man, they're popping bottles. They're going out getting the cars. And this thing is is what it is because those retailers could elevate you at such a level. It's not it's the like, same thing it's, anymore. It's like how it used to be when somebody got signed to a label. Like Very similar. Label. It was like, okay, we made it now. Yeah. We got the outlet. We got the, we got it. They're going right. to go, okay, we got it. So you've talked a lot about how the climate has changed in terms from the consumer side of things, in terms of how they're making their decisions. Um, but also want to talk about, you know, fashion choices, especially from a, a male perspective, and well, some of your thoughts on that, on that. Yeah, I know. This is what I want to get to with you. The male, the <laughs> male fashion thing has changed so much, and I think a lot of people have missed what's happening. In my opinion, what's happened is the male customer has now become like the female customer, and for some reason, people are missing that this happened. But the, the brand loyalty, like think about a woman, think about how they shop. Not every woman is the same, but I'm just using you know, younger women that are shopping, right? A lot of them have, um, like they spend a lot of money on bags. They've spent a lot of money on shoes. Mm-hmm. But they're going out one night. They're completely comfortable popping over to a top shop, mm-hmm. buying something that's an H&M. For the right people, of for certain girls of Forever 21s. And you know what? That thing was cheap. It looks great on them, right? It was cheap. They're wearing that with their, with their expensive-ass shoes. And they got their nice bag, and they're going out. And they feel, they're, they're fine. They're looking great. And then when they wear that out that one night, they may never touch that thing again, mm-hmm. right? And that's how a lot of women shop in a lot, you know, and they're not, not every piece on that a woman wears is expensive, mm-hmm. okay? But when I was at Carmelo, and just talking streetwear, for example, when I was at Carmelo, when you were dressing, if you were wearing a, a flannel, if you were wearing some denim, yeah, there were some classics. You can get away with some Levi's and stuff like that. But really, wearing some denim, you may want to have that LRG denim. You may want to have that hundreds button up. And so there was a certain level of expectation that you're pretty much going to wear a full fit of something. And most of that full fit is pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Because when you're wearing that button up, it may have cost you $95. When you're wearing that denim, it may have been $150. When you're wearing, you know... Um, uh, you know that tea it may have cost you a certain amount so what's happened that I've seen out there is that customers have and, and this culture I think it's because of the speed in which they live I think it's you think it's the social media culture too the fact that they're essentially on camera all the time mm-hmm. snapchat uh, what they want to post on their Instagram Instagram live even whatever it is that you constantly seeing what they're wearing all this stuff and at some point can't say exactly when but at some point it became okay to wear something over from zara mm-hmm. it became okay but you know what you're wearing that and you got some yeezys you're wearing <laughs> that and you've got you know maybe it's a hat you yeah. got you got a it's few what i consider pop pieces yes yeah, yeah and then you but got your stock whole pieces, fit yeah. doesn't and you know what those stock pieces they're cheap yeah. they're cheaper a lot cheaper mm-hmm. and so now you went to you you bought that 95 dollar button up on carmelo and now you're going, the new, the new kid is going, hmm, 
I just got six things over at, at H&M, and I got looks for days for 95 I mean, it's about that, a little bit, little bit less probably stuff. Three or four things, yeah. 95 bucks H&M, and I got my sneakers, I got, and I'm mixing and matching, and I'm doing all these different things. So I think that the women's, the men's customer has much, has, has become much more like the women's customer. And I think that, that in terms of speed as well, in terms of style, in terms of caring about style, mm -hmm. I think all that stuff. And I think it significantly impacts business today because um, price is so key. Mm -hmm. Price so, and style is so key. And that stuff, price, style, and speed, what's crazy about that stuff is to accomplish those three things is really, really hard. Mm. So you're talking about really, in some ways, some bigger entities also being able to continue to kill in that market because there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of people that can pull that off because it involves a lot of layers. Mm -hmm. You know, Price, speed, quality, is, it's hard. So as a business owner, how have you responded to that? I've worked on some real strategic partnerships that will enable me to uh, eventually play a little bit more in that world. Mm -hmm. I've leaned more on, more than ever, on our marketing and our branding. Mm -hmm. And I also haven't tried to be everything to everybody. You know, in the sense that, like, you know, we are what we are. We're not, may, we, we may not be able to be as big as we could have been eight years ago if we had the brand. Now. Like, it's a different landscape. You have mm -hmm. to make some decisions. I'm watching other brands. I'm doing other things that will also add some width to what we do that maybe eight or nine years ago I wouldn't do those things. It's not a it's not because of a it's not because of not doing well. It's because of maximizing what we have. It's it we can do that, I think, in a different way in the landscape today than we could have years ago. Mm -hmm. Again, years ago though, eight years ago, ten years ago, it was a lot harder to launch brands too. It was a lot harder to get to customers too. Right. Because if let's say I wanted to launch two new brands eight or nine years ago, well, I the online business is whatever. You're not going to really, it can't be your main business. And then in it, this is, I'm talking about eight or nine, 10 years ago. In addition to that, because your outlets really at that point, it's like, well, I really want to get picked up by one of these big stores. All right, well, I launched a new brand. You're really dependent on some big retailers playing ball with you and there was less players. It was a harder, the, the, the way to get into the, getting into the market was harder than it is today in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of uh, saturation of mm -hmm. stuff because of the ease to get into it today. And now it's, it's really a game about how do you separate yourself where the game before was how do you separate yourself to get the retailers to want to pick you up and to, and to play ball with you. Now it's how do you separate yourself and have the cu the customers want to spend money with you. Mm -hmm. It's very different because you couldn't really get to the customers before. Yeah. How are you going to get to them? Mm -hmm. Like, there's no real online. You have your own brick and mortar store, and that's a different business model. It's a very expensive business model. But mm -hmm. how, it's hard. It was hard. Now it's like you see some brands catching fire mm -hmm. straight up online. Just that wasn't around. That mm -hmm. wasn't a thing. Before. So, so I heard a great. Uh, a, a great sort of opinion from uh, Peter Rosenberg relative to radio, and I'm going to lob it to yeah. you and see if, if 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 
what you're saying, if that has a parallel to the world that you're talking about. He said, you know, from an artist's point of view, you don't have to have radio to be successful, right? These days, you don't have to have it. You could have a nice cult following, you could do touring, you could have merch, you could build a good, a good career for yourself. But to be super, super, super rich, to be the top of, you know, 5% or 10% of the, the music world, you need radio. So I'm, I'm putting that to you and thinking about the, the, the fashion world or the apparel world or lifestyle world. You can build a business that can do well, uh, but do you need the? Do you still need those outlets? Slightly to, different, to be right? Think big? about it this way: from the radio standpoint, the radio is still marketing, right? Yep. You're on the radio; you're getting ears. It's marketing your product for free, mm-hmm. and then still the way they're. I mean, they make a little bit of money on the radio, but yep. really the way that they're making money, those artists are making money, is because it's blowing up on radio. You're getting them to the tours. You're selling them merch. For this, where it's a little bit different is the where you're bringing in dollars. First, think about margins. So when I'm selling to a retailer, my margin is significantly different than when I'm selling direct. Mm -hmm. So let's say I have a brand that's doing $10 million a year on a website online, and I got a brand that's doing $15 million a year only at retail. I take that 10 minute, you take that 10 minute, you're making way more money. Yeah. Like way more money and you're not beholden to them, plus you're keeping the data. So it's. Plus you likely have less overhead inherent in that. In terms yeah, of probably less that. overhead, yeah. So, well, it depends. If you have an online, strictly online business versus strictly retail, you actually probably have more overhead. Okay. But, well, it just depends the type of business you're okay. doing. But, Sorry, continue. So. I there I don't I think that there are ways that see the problem is to blow up like you're talking about and to do these huge numbers you're still playing with retailers that the bigger the retailer gets the tougher your world gets and you can do more volume but they're also tougher like they're going to be way tougher than your average smaller guy. Yeah. So it's like if I could have – well, this one I'm focused on, right? If I could have more brands that are primarily online and maybe the, the ceiling is a little bit lower, but I could maximize it plus, click, plus keeping all that data and customer information and build fan base versus something where I am – dealing with a much bigger retailer uh, some of the real big guys all day long you go with the online because those that's also a scary world right they get it there you know they get a new buyer over there or you do something to piss somebody off over there you're still until you're Nike and Adidas they don't need you right. so at the end of the day you could lose a big account in your whole business that way it's tough let's say you're doing 10 million dollars a year online Unless you're a fad, like it's like this thing that just goes off and disappears, you're really not going to have the bottom fall out. Right. Like if you do it the right way and you introduce the right new products and you have this great customer base, you can always just keep going with it. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with a big retailer, the bottom could fall out. Mm-hmm. Like you could just upset them, you could lose well, them. Well, there's lots of stories, for instance, with, you know, I know there's stories about, you know, for instance, say, let's just say it's it's a pet food company and they're trying to get into Walmart and they're in Walmart and then Walmart comes and says okay cool it costs you uh, 
three dollars to make this. Well, now the price in Walmart is three twenty-five. You don't want it? Okay, then lose the millions of volume. Oh, well, they lose it. They may knock it off. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Go make their own brand. Yeah. Urban Outfitters has a brand called Feathers. Well, one of their best brands or a brand that was killing in urban was Publish. Mm. Their logo is a feather. Mm. Like, it's the same type of stuff. Yeah. Like, it's, this is a, you want to get cutthroat. I mean, it's about as cutthroat as it gets. So, yeah, like you're saying, they dictate the rules in, in such a different way. And so, the beauty of doing something direct to the customer is that you're that guy then. You get to make the rules. Like, we get to do whatever we want. I get to do a sale when I want to. I get to introduce new product when I want to. I get to listen to the customer. And I say, listen, it's not exactly what they... I don't mean only what they're speaking to me. I mean their actions. I get to listen and see what's happening and adjust to it where the other model is... um, I mean, and obviously a lot of people are discovering this. Where a lot of people know the traditional retail model is, is cutthroat and difficult. And so they may put a few more extra resources to uh, the online. And what will that do? That'll negatively affect the big retailers more and more. So their practices and the way that they do this and as cutthroat as they are will end up coming back in the long run to some of these retailers to really negatively affecting them because like, people are just going to keep bringing more stuff online and they're going to miss the boat on that mm-hmm. stuff. So see where it all goes but it's an interesting it's the 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 most important thing anybody can do with a brand or a company or anything is really try to pay attention to what listen to what's happening watch what's happening look at retailers think about like how people are consuming product because I think that a lot of that stuff is going to change at an even faster pace than it ever has. Mm-hmm. Like, because the barrier entry is so much lower yeah. that I think, like, you know, you have like a Bonobos mm-hmm. that's doing, they don't have retail stores, but they have stores, and the stores, you go in, they have no inventory, you try it in the pants, now you know how the pants fit, and then you just go buy it online from them. That's smart, and that's mm-hmm. a different way of doing business. I think you're going to see more and more and more stuff like that. Doesn't mean, I don't think the end of a physical tactile product in a physical location that that model is dead or is going to die anytime soon, yeah. but it's cha- all But the changing. dynamics are shifting. I don't yeah, know if you saw the Amazon. Yeah, I was just going to bring that, that up. That fucking crazy Amazon thing. Yeah. Maybe. What's it called? Amazon. Um, do you remember is the it, name it? Is it Amazon Go? Is that what, no. It's, I don't remember. You just walk in and you pick just up walk your stuff in. and walk right out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We look at all that kind of stuff. It's amazing. Kind of for sure. It's amazing. And it's like, hmm. Okay, well, I can tell you all these little bodegas are probably going to be freaking the fuck out. Yeah. The, 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 um, the grocery stores. I mean, I can't I mean, we go, from a, we go from a world of, of, of pulling out money to swiping a card to, to being annoyed that I have to put in my, pass, my passcode because I can't just tap it to one where I don't even want to pull out anything. I just want a thing and I'm going to go. It's crazy. Right? Um, okay, so let's 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 um, pull back to a second. Obviously, the faculty is you know we record out of Toronto. We're out here in LA, um, and popular demand embodies a lot of the, the the spirit of LA. Like when I was out here and we first met, one of the things that I always tell people that have never been out here is uh, you wherever you're coming from, and you think that where where you live, you might be the peacock in that area you need to ratchet that up like 10 levels to Peacock in LA. 
It's harder to peacock in L.A. It is. I mean, it's yeah. L.A. I mean, you have that's, that's the, the biggest people in the world out here. <laughs> but I will tell you, you can, it's big, but you can find your niche. You can find your, there's definitely a lot of places, a lot of like things that you can own. I mean, for me, when I came, when I started Popular Demand, I'd go to clubs and in clubs there'd be, the biggest rappers in the world, the biggest, um, the biggest um, athletes in the world, DJs in the world. And I'd look around the club and I realized nobody's really owning this in terms of a brand. So I started to get product to so many different people. So you walk in the club and you see popular men in those four walls, right? Mm-hmm. That was me just paying attention to what's going on. So I was able to own a space mm-hmm. that people had just ignored. Mm-hmm. It, and so... There's different ways to, to this is a weird analogy, but not an analogy, was it? It's not called an analogy, but you know, different ways to skin a cat. I don't know who's skinning cats. Should probably yeah. stop more than doing one way that. To skin a cat, yeah. yeah, more than one way. They, I don't know why they're doing that. Um, but, anyways, there's, you just, I mean, it's with everything, right? You just gotta figure out where they ain't. Like, you gotta just hit them where they're not. Like, you but, gotta but also figure the, it out. But also, that, 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 that spirit of being. Uh, of flaunting it, of 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 stunting, of being loud. Like you talked to that earlier about no apologies. It's okay to dress loud, and I feel like that's also, you know, a real part of the foundation of what you've built here too, right? Like yeah, a I lot of the styles, a lot of like popular on a hat, popular on well, a well, popular on a hat was just know. to kind of just be like a fuck you. I know, but like, like it kind of was. Very, I knew people would be like, "What are these guys thinking?" And that's why I did it because it's kind of like a joke. Right. Like it's yeah. like. Come on. Come on. Like, what, <laughs> I just knew I'd get a ton of attention. Right. And so there's, I think that there's a little, there, you know, it's crazy. It's like you said, the stunting thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can do an element of that here, but I mean, the stunting element is still a little weird because it's like, it's LA. Mm-hmm. How much can you stunt? I'm not, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio. We're we're not, you know, um, you know, uh, I'm not Iron Man. Yeah, you know, Iron Man lives here. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not what we are. So it's like the interesting thing about it is, which surprising, and I think it's like this thing that people don't know about LA, but it goes back to literally the first thing we were talking about, which is people and relationships. I, I yeah, we are loud and we're fun, but people fuck with us more. For the, I don't. People fuck with us more for the energy than for, like we are the um, the we're just the most ballin' brand. People fuck with us more for the energy and the ability to have fun and do whatever we want than the stunting thing. And what that comes down to, I think, is like it still all comes down to people. Like we just build relationships with people, and people fuck with us. Because we just get to know them, and you'd be surprised how small this city is compared to, like, you know, you're in Toronto, everybody, you know, Toronto's a huge, big place. I bet you know a lot of people out there that people are like, you know that person? They're like, yeah, man, it's like, we just built a relationship. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. Same sort of thing here in L.A. The one thing I find that I like about L.A. more than New York, and I like New York a lot, too. It's obviously those two places are compared a lot. Um, 
I find people are more open here and they're more willing to collaborate and work with you mm -hmm. than in New York. It's a little bit like, yo, show me what you got. Like, you mm, prove yourself prove, yeah. a little bit more. Well, yeah, the joke I, is in New York, right? Like, like the, the, the like smirk and like slow head nod is like equivalent to the like, you know, throwing your dreads back and forth in, in the South kind of yeah. thing. Like, that is approval <laughs> in yeah. that space, right? And I mean, we identify with that from Toronto, Screwface Capital. It's the same. I didn't even know it was that. That's, I learned yeah, something new every day. Toronto Screwface Capital, yeah. I think that the cool part about the people that come to LA is that everybody comes here. Think about it. Like, the people that come to LA, like, they grew up, like, I grew up in a small town. I had a stoplight in my town. And that's one stoplight. <laughs> and it wasn't even the three colors, it was just blinking red. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, my point is, though, that, like, I'm here. I didn't, most people that come to LA just aren't like, you know, I'm going to move to L.A. and just go hang out in L.A. I mean, because it's intimidating, right? Most people that come to L.A. is like, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to go to L.A. and try to make something of myself, yeah. right? So you have this energy of people out here that, you know, somebody may come out to try to be a rapper or an actor or whatever. They may not be good. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are great, but they may not be good. But you know what? They have the balls to come out here and do it. And there's this energy of trying to make it and be somebody. Some people are too lazy to ever make it. Some people have, they don't have the right mindset. Whatever. But at the same time, they are, they're like, I want to try to make something of myself. And all the rest of their friends are back home doing what they're doing. And I got no problem with the people that I grew up with and they got married to their high school sweetheart. I think that's wonderful. It's not me, but it's wonderful. The people that come out to LA, though, are kind of like, I want something a little different. Yeah. I'm going to try to make it. And the other thing about LA is that you meet somebody today, then all of a sudden, six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, they become some of the biggest something in the world. Right. And you start to realize this, and you're like, wait a second, I met DJ Mustard. I don't know if he could have afforded Mustard like at the time. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I met DJ when I met Mustard, he was he was doing he was he was just starting to pop off. He DJed our first or one year anniversary party. But I'll tell you what I paid him. I may even have in my wallet today. Okay. Yeah. So you meet these people. And Mustard's not the best example because he was already on the way up. But I remember watching two people. One of them is this guy, Andy Grammer, that my brother is good friends with. And I went to go watch Andy Grammer perform after a comedian. And he had three people in the bar. And Andy has now gone on to have multi-platinum hits and perform. I watched him perform from my home uh, <laughs> at a, I believe it was a Thanksgiving Dallas Cowboys or Detroit Lions game. Mm. Uh, I'm like, okay, he did okay for himself. I remember watching Miguel. <laughs> Miguel was number three of six, of six performers at Roxy where they fit 700 people. Now, at the time, Miguel had already done some great writing for the ushers of the world, and he, but never himself, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And I remember watching Miguel, super talented dude even at the time. And then Miguel goes on to be fucking Miguel. So, like, you start to have this happen on all different levels with DJs, with music producers, with actresses, with models and everything. And you start going, I should probably be kind of cool to people because yeah, yeah. you just never know where they end up. And I think yeah. people start to realize this and everybody's kind of cool. So it's not really, in my opinion, I think LA gets a bit of a bad rap. I think there's a, sure, there's trash here. There's trash everywhere. But I think you, the people are better than most people in space. And more importantly, it's a more conducive environment for trying to be successful because people want to help you out a little bit more, build with you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, 
it's not, I think, as difficult as some of the other cities, actually, mm -hmm. from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a one of my favorite things is uh, there's this there's this clip. It's a speech. I think it's like a graduation speech or something, and it's class of '99. And what they say, the guy says, you know, he's like giving life advice. So it's like random things, like you know, be good to your siblings and this and that, and stretch and like brush whatever. And it's like one of the things is. Uh, you know, live in New York once in your life, but leave before it makes you hard. And live in California once in your life, but leave before it makes you soft. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that 100%. I mean, that New York thing, for sure. Yeah. The California thing, it can. Yeah. You could, it's, it, you, both of them, I guess, is how, how yeah. strong you are to your core, for sure. right? For sure. But in LA, but you the have cool part is you can become soft. Right. Because shit, you move out here, you want to be that actor. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, this place is amazing. This is like beautiful just lay everywhere. Up, yeah. And it's beautiful outside. Like, yeah, you can get your eye off the ball for mm -hmm. sure out here. Yeah. But there's also a lot of grinders out here. A lot absolutely. Of oh, absolutely. Focus. So yeah, I know what you're saying though. You and I think, definitely. And I think, um, I think also just as a, a last point there, uh, in, in LA, um, you know, you, everybody has the feeling when you go on vacation and you, how you're maybe more open to like meeting other people that are on vacation because you're at some new place in some new country and it's like, well, I don't know anybody, so right. I might as well know right. them, right? And I feel, I felt that when I was out here as well is that openness because a lot of people are not from here, so they're out here and they're meeting people on the go, right? It's that, uh, yeah, somebody who doesn't live here and just has come uh, on, you know, vacations and, or work type things. It's definitely that. Like, it's definitely, you you're, yeah. you're, you get that vibe because yeah. it's just kind of is what it is. It's like kind of the environment's pretty, it's, it's, it's more open than people realize, you know, yeah. especially, and if you, especially if you go into somebody and you're like pretty chill, you know, mm -hmm. and you're not trying to stunt and yeah. trying to, uh, you know, say that you're such a big deal. We all know. We all know who's the big deal, who's right. not the big deal. Again, it's L.A., Obviously, with the faculty, you know, we look at uh, sports, art, culture, and a lot of times, you know, it's it's with some Toronto sensibilities or through a Toronto lens, right? And um, we've talked a lot about uh, L.A., but obviously Toronto as well, like with the emergence of Drake and The Weeknd and the production and the DJs that have come out of there, uh, you know, Toronto has grown in, in profile, right? 100%. And so I wanted to get, you know, uh, your perspective on Toronto and sort of what is your impression of Toronto I'm wondering the what culture. the fuck they're putting in the water. It's like how do that? It's it, but it show it it shows the importance of culture and about um, again energy and things like that. It's like and even confidence, right? It's like to me, uh, my take is like some kid in Toronto now feels like he could become Drake or become The Weekend, and it, I think it's like a self fulfilling prophecy in the way that like you have this thing and this energy. It's the same thing in a different way with Atlanta with hip hop music and stuff and then this culture's created. I think it's a I think it's I think it's amazing to see because I think it's a um, a testament to the ability of human beings that are in a place and then for them to almost un, not even knowing that they're that they are um, becoming better and making themselves better and becoming more creative because of this confidence that they're feeling of where they live and then getting to know people in there and then people playing off each other and working off each other. It's like, it's, it would be impossible to think that people like Drake, that Drake and The Weeknd haven't um, created 
that th them just being successful the way they are and doing the thing that they've done haven't helped create the next round of them that are the artists that are out there the culture is just has that much more energy mm -hmm. so as an outsider somebody that's in LA um, that looks at Toronto to me I, you know it's an interesting thing when I not only because I think a lot about a lot about Atlanta for music too but it's different mm -hmm. when I think of Toronto music I think of like really really quality stuff like mm. it's really like the music coming out of there is like it's got a real quality vibe to it not that Atlanta doesn't but Atlanta's yeah. turned the fuck up yeah where it's like Toronto it's like somebody says some new artist came out of Toronto and they're like kind of weak any party next door or whatever you're kind of you're still you want to hear them because you're like they have their own vibes like mm. I fuck with that because the vibe's cool. It's right. really cool with Toronto with that with the music how it's coming out like that. So to me, it's inspiring to see. It's cool to see. I bet you in the next you know five years there'll be that next Toronto, but it'll have a different vibe and a different energy. Yeah. But Toronto's it right now. Mm -hmm. You know, Toronto is one is one of the, the hottest places for music right now, without a doubt. And uh, it's really cool to see for sure. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for spending so much time with us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's been a pleasure. Been a lot of fun. Thank you, bro. Yeah, Appreciate you coming. Yeah, absolutely. Being here. This is real cool. Cheers. Thank well, you, and thanks to the faculty, correct? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my name is Jonathan Brown. Some people call me Biz. I'm going to call you Biz. Thank you, Biz. I'm Blake from Popular Demand. This has been a lot of fun. This has been the faculty. You are now a member.